Welcome to a new episode of the Startup Diaries podcast brought to you by Bern Sheehan, a leading technology recruitment business in London and Manchester. In this episode, we have co-founder and CEO of Ufurnish, Deirdre McGettrick. Ufurnish is a search and comparison website for home furniture. It actually brings around 110 or over 110 furniture retailers and all their products into one place. Deirdre talks us through what made her take the plunge from leaving a six-figure salary in the banking industry to starting her own business. She talks us through the interesting dynamic of co-founding a business with her then-boyfriend, now-husband, and how they've raised over $5 million from individuals rather than institutions. Finally, Deirdre talks us through some of the challenges she's faced when it comes to hiring and how she ensures that her team cares as much about the product as she does. We think it's a great episode. We hope you enjoy it. Welcome, Deirdre. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Um, do you want to start off by telling us a bit about yourself and the story behind you finish? Yeah, sure. So um, I moved to the UK from Ireland uh, over sort of uh, 12 years ago, and I spent most of the time working in banking. Um, so came on a graduate program. Uh, fast forward a couple of years, and I had bought an apartment, my first home. And boy, was I excited because I love interior design. It's been a passion since I was a kid. I used to cut up the Argus catalogue and design my little rooms. <laughs> so I was very excited, and I was very prepared because I knew all the inspiration from pictures on social media, from a TV, friend's house, even Hamyard Hotel that I love in London. I knew what I wanted to do. I just needed to find the furniture. And that was when frustration struck. I could not find the furniture that I was looking for and I knew it existed in real life because I'd seen it so I was searching website after website after website of furniture retailers thinking why isn't there an aggregator why isn't there one place that you can shop the entire market all the retailers and all of their products just like we use Rightmove when we're actually looking for property so that is basically what youfurnish.com does. It's all inspired by my own frustration. And it brings all the furniture retailers, John Lewis, Wayfair, Habitat, Heels, onto one website and all their products to make search easy for the consumer. Well, the biggest thing I want to dive into straight away then is you were vice president at a bank. So you would have been, I imagine, rather, rather well paid. And then you've jumped into, I guess, the insecurity of starting your own business. And you've gone from, I guess, comfort to, you know, driving something, solving a problem. So what made you take that plunge? Yeah, so the the title is probably more grandiose than it was in reality. So that's about sort of mid-level in terms of where you are in your career in a bank. So it's analyst, associate, vice president. Uh, director and managing director Um, but you're right the money was nice and um, it was a very um, might not seem banking very stable but it felt like a very stable safe Mm. job to have with all of your health care and your pension and insurances and um, I I suppose maybe the easiest thing around it is that it's a huge risk to sort of jump off and to leave it until you lose all that security blanket but it was something that I knew I'd always regret if I didn't go and give it a go. And I think I was fortunate in the sense that I hadn't really delved too much into that lifestyle. I hadn't bought a ridiculous house. I didn't have kids in private schools and big outgoings every month. That meant that I couldn't take the reduction in salary that I was going to need to do. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really what enabled it is the fact that I hadn't started living to the means that I could have done with the salary I was earning. Mm -hmm. One of the things that's interesting about the business as well, obviously I've said co-founder when I introduced you. The other co-founder at the time was your boyfriend, yep. now husband. Yep, we're um, still together. Yeah, so. When I say now boyfriend, everyone's like, oh, and you're now, you're now split up. No, we're still together. <laughs> now husband. So things have gone well in, in that sense yep. moving forward. Um, how do you think, what's the key to having a successful co-founder dynamic? Not just because they're your partner, but like... Obviously, it might have added extra stress to have you know working out in that sense. But what are the kind of key dynamics? 
Yeah, so a lot of people think, oh gosh, when you say that to them, they're like, I could never work with my other half or I could never work with my wife or my husband or whatever it is. And actually, I think the key to it is, is that whoever your co-founder is, is that you need to have a shared vision of what you're building. And I think this is with a lot of founders that I speak to, whatever their co-founder might be, is that sometimes when it doesn't work out, it's because they've never had that conversation to begin with around what am I looking for? What are we looking to build? What is our vision? And are we aligned in what that is? Because building a company to 10 people versus 100 people is a very different journey. And building a company to a million of revenue versus 100 million revenue is very different journeys. So what is somebody actually doing? Now, I think we've got the advantage that our personal and business life very much aligns. But of course, when you start out as two co-founders, often the personal circumstances of each of those co-founders will change along the way, which again can cause sort of disruptions in that dynamic. So I think we're quite fortunate in that way. But we did sit down at the very beginning and we actually established what is our vision? What do we want to achieve? And we had to have a very open and honest conversation around, well, what is it that you want? Mm -hmm. What is it that I want? What is it in our career ambitions that we're trying to itch with this sort of adventure and go on and making sure therefore that we know what's really important to somebody so when you fast forward and you have a conversation and you say actually I'm going to do that you know realizing oh actually that might be treading on their toes because they said that was really important to them Mm -hmm. so being very honest in it and you know we basically had that divorce chat even as boyfriend and girlfriend where it was like what happens if we split up Mm -hmm. What happens around decision making? How are we going to do that? He was moving in uh, to the apartment. And what happens if we split up around our living arrangements? And I think being realistic about when you have disagreements, which you will have, how are you going to resolve them? And trying to be upfront around setting some parameters. We've never gone back to that agreement, which was how do we make decisions? What happens if we've got, Mm -hmm. you know, arguments and difference of opinion? But it's because we've put it in place that actually I think is something that's really important because you're highlighting that there can be differences from the beginning mm-hmm. and trying to counteract how you're going to deal with them. Yeah. So you weren't living together at the time or was he about to move in? Did you say that as well? So he was about to move in. Yeah. So you went all in all from all different angles. There. Yeah, yeah. So it was literally like, right, if we do uh, split up, I won't kick you out immediately. But you can have two or three weeks until you do it. And it'll be very awkward if said, a situation ever arises. But yeah, yeah it, it's just trying to plan ahead and being realistic because you will come up with a lot of challenges. Yeah. And if you can actually sort of sort of heed them from the beginning and come up with logic that's not emotive driven, it puts you in good state for future issues. And regardless of the relationship, do you think um, you've got quite sort of, I don't know, complementary skills then? Is it how it's worked quite well and the fact that you have different sort of specialisms in which you, what you can drive forward or the, do they cross over a little bit? Yeah, so we've definitely got skills for cross over, but I think on the whole, we very much try and divide and conquer. Um, I think the key is, is that we're very aligned on the vision of what we're trying to create and we're equally as passionate about it and we don't have any distractions. We're all in together on the same page and that's what works so well for us. Mm. And it's somebody that you entirely trust. So it's like, right, this is your segment. You go off and do that. Mm. And this is my piece. I'm going to go off and do that and we'll achieve double then if we were both working on one thing um, or working on something alone, you're not going to achieve as much. So Mm -hmm. it's getting somebody you really trust, aligned vision, and then divide and conquer. Perfect. I think one of the real other interesting aspects of the business is you've raised over around five million pounds already, but it's all come from individuals rather than institutions. Um, I think mostly in the past, we've typically had people on who've typically raised from an institution So could you talk us through why you decided to go down that route and also what the experience was like? 
Yeah, so um, when we started off, we have been very fortunate that we met quite a lot of people who have built businesses. Mm-hmm. And we're constantly trying to learn and share in wisdom of other people, people that have been before us have been on this path. And one of the things that sort of came up from a lot of them was that they were very much of the opinion that, you know, you should build the business before you look at taking in big money and outside influences. Mm-hmm. Make sure that you've got a solid underlying business before you get to that stage. Yeah. And that's what they've done in their businesses. So we sort of deployed that mentality and um, we brought a lot of these people actually into the business. So I have five shareholders who have each built a business that is worth or has sold for over a billion. Okay, so it's also quite a nice feeling when you've got this person that's backing you that's been on the journey and they're like wow they've done it and they see something in me that they believe that I can go and I can replicate that level of success with my vision that I'm talking about mm. so that's been sort of one of the elements and then obviously as well coming from investment banking was lucky enough that I was surrounded by quite a lot of individuals who you know earn a lot of money and are interested in making investments more broadly so the people that knew me best were able to actually write me checks because they have high disposable levels of income so that was a natural sort of strategy as well to be able to get people that know you and sort of think wow yeah I know she can make it happen she was a really hard worker she was achieving great things in her career Mm -hmm. so it was sort of a no-brainer to go and sort of tap into that network yeah if if someone's listening and not in banking is there any advice that you give to them to go and sourcing those contacts is it networking how would you go about trying to get in contact with those sorts of people yeah, massively just networking, getting out and about events and putting yourself in new circles of people. I think the other element as well is that there is a lot of entrepreneurs out there. Mm. I didn't know all the entrepreneurs that I've currently got backing me, but I met them or got introductions to them or even cold reached out to some of them on oh. LinkedIn and said, I love what you've done. I'm doing a similar business. So create that connectivity, create that logic around why you want to learn from them because a lot of them want to give back. And mm. if it's an area that's similar to the business that they've built, they'll understand stand it they'll be able to give advice and they'll naturally be more inclined to be interested in a business that they can see the similarities than something that's completely different from their line of business so look at who are those businesses that have gone ahead that you can find similarities and try and find not just the owners of those businesses as well by the way who was there in the beginning that was their cto or their marketing officer who built the first partnerships those are people that would be amazing to get on and if they've had equity from the beginning as well they often have disposable income that they're investing on the side so not just the founders but everybody around those businesses are usually interesting and indeed the shareholders of those businesses back in the day if they've made money through that business you know they're going to be very interested in your business probably yeah excellent Uh, one thing that i'd like to talk about is the sort of partnerships that you've managed to build within you furnish as well i think you've got some really successful businesses supporting and working alongside you could you tell us a bit about the build up how you've managed to build up those partnerships so is this the retail partnerships that yeah, you're talking yeah, about? Sorry, yeah. Apologies, yeah. So we basically aggregate all the furniture retailers across the market. So I've mentioned names like Benson's for Beds, SCS, Heels, Oka, Tesco Home, Soho Home, mm. smaller businesses that people might not have heard of, uh, less, less well-known brands like SLF24 and Industville. And really it's about going out and again, getting introductions into those businesses, understanding about them, reading about them, coming prepared into those meetings to say, this is what I understand about your business. What are your objectives? This is what I understand them to be. I've done my research Mm -hmm. and then sort of explaining to them how you can help them to achieve those objectives. So it's all about building relationships and doing your due diligence as much as you can beforehand so that you're going in as prepared as possible. And, you know, that 
that puts you in good sticks. People are like, all right, she's really looked at our business. She's understand who we are, mm-hmm. what we're about. And she's understood how she can add value back. At the end of the day, anybody that's got a business, it's all about driving your business forward. So ultimately, keeping it simple, that means how they're going to make more money, how they're going to drive their revenues. So if you can go into a business with that mentality around how you're going to help them to achieve that, you know, most businesses will be very receptive to it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the things on your journey that when we were putting this together, you talked about as well, I think is quite interesting is one of the biggest pain points has been the hiring aspect. But I know you've got a very kind of direct approach to trying to solve this uh, from how you've grown the team. So I'd love to, for our listeners, for you to explain how you've gone about growing and getting over those hiring pains. Yeah, so we've... um, not always got it right, I suppose, is the first thing that I should start with. But I suppose if you can share the learnings and help others coming behind, that's uh, sort of amazing. And what we try and do as well by learning from others. And I think the one thing about hiring that I sort of uh, relate it back to is when I was doing my driving test, my driving instructor always told me that if I'm in a crash, it's as much my fault as somebody else's. And I was like, but what happens if they like crash into me? And he was like, well, it's your fault for not being aware enough that they were coming and that you might needed to give them leeway or whatever it was. Mm -hmm. And I see hiring very much like that. So when it doesn't work out, there's two parties at fault. There's two parties. And so you've always got to be reflective on yourself around, do I create the environment uh, to help that person thrive? So we're very reflective around where we haven't got it right. Mm-hmm. Um, was it a cultural fit? Was it a skills fit? Was it around the description of the job and the output that was required in terms of explaining that and setting the person up for success? Um, but a big part of it is that I actually personally try and create a network. Again, everything yeah. goes back to network, actually, of People that, you know, I think would be a really good fit, people that I've been really impressed with and thinking, right, how do I build up that sort of three, four people that I know I'd love to bring in in the future, even if I don't have a role for them right now. And then when the time is right to bring them in rather than having to go out and necessarily hire in a rush. And I think that's sort of a big thing around actually you're better to have a hole or a gap Mm -hmm. than to have the wrong person in there because it's sort of short term gain for long term pain Mm -hmm. where you fill a gap that's not the right fill. Yeah, I think one of the the best phrase you used in there as well was that setting them up to succeed. Like not many people think that they just think they've got, like you said, to have a hole to fill. And it's not what does it look like for the person? What do they want? And also, what do you want from that that growth? So that's good that you're actually thinking about that before even bringing some, or even, I guess, put, making approaches, right? Yeah, and it's really difficult for businesses because especially in today's uh, era, you know, the amount of change that we're seeing in business is like decades worth in like 12 months. Mm-hmm. So you're hiring for a role, but actually thinking about that, how, how that role is going to evolve. Am I hiring for a role today or for what that role will be in 12 months? If that role is going to change, will that person be adaptable? I might not even know that that role is going to change. So how do I want to bring in adaptability even straight away from the fore? But if I can see that it's going to change, you know, very important to really hire what that role needs to become, not just for the function today. Mm. It's really core in a growing business. Well, one of the next questions I was going to ask you is about how do you ensure the team takes care, you know, cares about the business as much as you do? Do you think that maybe that better onboarding, that better sort of setting them up to succeed is a big part in that? Yeah, I think as well, like, are they passionate about the problem that you're trying to solve for the consumer? Yeah. Um, is it a frustration that they've had or is it a passion for them or a hobby that they like that era? I think if you can sort of get alignment on that, it's half the battle. And it's one of the reasons why I like to hire directly because I can talk to people, I can explain the problem. Um, 
it's exciting um, what we're going on and it should be. And if it's not, then they're probably not the right person for us. Um, you know, you don't need to be as passionate about furniture and solving the problem as I am. But I want you to understand the problem and to really get it and think, yes, we can build something. I can be part of building the equivalent of what Rightmove was back in the day. Mm -hmm. But in the furniture sector, wouldn't that be exciting? And then the other element as well that we use at youfurnish.com is we think about how we can incentivize people. So if you believe in the problem that we're solving and you believe that we're going to become the right move of furniture, well, by the way, we're going to give you equity in the company. Mm-hmm. So that's a big draw. So who is people that are getting excited about that? And they're the right people to bring in rather than people that aren't so excited about the equity. Because that means that, you know, they've got skin in the game and that they win as well. And I think that's the most amazing thing is where everybody can come out with a winner at the end. Yeah. Well, if you're listening, Deirdre is on LinkedIn. So if you're interested, I'm sure she'll You can hit me up. <laughs> <laughs> always love having a conversation you never know where there's a role that will will come yeah exactly um my next question is really around what's next for the business and for your customers as you said there's a lot of change out there that, you know i'm sure you can drop in the b word of brexit's happened and changing things there but what's changing for for you and for the business and the customers yeah, so it's um, probably pretty simple in terms of where we see the future. We want to continue to innovate on our product and to offer better solutions for consumers to search, discover, compare, design their furniture and their rooms in their homes mm-hmm. uh, to find the best products for them from the best retailers at the best price and the best specifications, whatever it is. So there's so many elements that we can actually build out on the product. So I think that's uh, number one in terms of how we look at it. And number two then as well, it's in terms of growth. It's how do we make everybody across the UK aware that we exist mm-hmm. and that there's a new way to search for furniture that's going to save you time, save you money, introduce you to brands that you know and brands that you do not know so that you can make sure that you've seen the entirety of the market before making your purchasing decision. Perfect. There we go. Last two questions then that we ask uh, everyone who comes on the show. What's been the biggest challenge in your career to date? Ooh, the biggest challenge. Do you know, it's really interesting because I think the biggest challenge is always probably the one that you're facing right now because it's the most relevant, even though they've had big ones before, you know, they sort of pale into insignificance once you've overcome them. Um, But I would say the biggest challenge for me has probably been my own personal growth of actually managing people and understanding how I set them up for success. Mm -hmm. Um, I probably didn't have uh, a lot of experience in that prior to setting up Mm youfurnish.com. And it involves a lot of inward sort of, Uh, inspection on yourself and what you're doing and how you can change and what you can do better and just that self-awareness to become aware of the language that you use and what you might say versus what you're thinking versus what somebody might hear and what they might interpret it can be very different things and I suppose as the leader of a business as well you have this bigger shadow that you cast when you say something in terms of what people are listening out for so sort of realizing that and becoming that self-awareness is probably Mm -hmm. the biggest thing yeah I don't probably ask this enough, but are there any books that maybe come to mind? That Have you read any books that helped inspire you on that, that journey? Or is it very much you taking time just to think about yourself? I'm not a big book reader, if I'll be completely honest. Um, I, but I talk to a lot of people. All right, okay. I talk to a lot of people around, you know, did you have this challenge? This is what I'm dealing with. How would you deal with mm. it? What questions did you ask? How did you approach it? Tell me about a time when you had to overcome a challenge like that. Mm-hmm. Um one book I did read was um, Lean In by Sheryl Sandberg, who oh. was ex-Facebook. Uh, 
and uh, she tells a story about when she was working in the treasury one summer and um, Timothy Geithner was sort of saying oh I love Cheryl I'd set a problem and I would give people two days to go off and solve it and later that afternoon Cheryl was in with the solution everybody went, else went off and solved the problem Cheryl went off rang a few people discovered the answer and came back in so I always like to think of myself like that I'm lazy I just want to go direct to people and ask them questions and I think if you can have people like that around you that you can go to two or three people ask them the question get their input and then form your own conclusion it's not mm. like there's going to be a one fits all but that's how I try and approach it yeah. The last bit, the last question we always ask is for a piece of advice that you give to someone starting their own business. I want to ask that, but I also feel like I could answer the networking aspects and that talking to people. But I want to take that. I want another option from you. Is there because that's been a really fundamental part of your story. So is there anything else you'd advise? Ask questions. Yeah. Lots of questions. No question is irrelevant. You shouldn't feel like you can't ask a question of anybody, even if that person's more of an expert in a field than you. You need to understand it. You should ask every question. Um, and I think that goes, doesn't matter what stage, whether you're a startup, whether you're a graduate, whether you are more senior uh, in your career, if you don't understand something, ask the question. Because I think if people see asking questions, it makes them empowered to ask questions. And ultimately, there's a lot of people that sit in meetings, and I've seen it throughout my career, where they don't understand, but they don't ask the question. And I'm not asking a question as a little young grad in banking. And then I came out afterwards of a meeting and said, what did that mean? I was like, oh, I didn't know that either. And I'm like, all right, okay. So now none of us know what it meant. Yeah. How terrible is that? Versus if you can create cultures where people ask questions and get the information that they need and therefore you're making the right decisions. So yeah, just be blatant about asking questions and shameless about it. And there is no shame with the fact that I don't know things. Yeah. If I ask, I'm going to learn and I'm going to become better. So ask questions. Perfect. Well, look, that's a good spot to, to wrap it up. Deirdre, thanks for joining us. Hope you, hope you enjoyed it. Yeah, thanks for having me.